But we're going to start off by talking about some of the narratives around things in the NBA. And, you know, a lot of times there are things that you hear that are talked about that sometimes, you know, it's not balanced. Mm. It's very skewed one way. And that's something Brian and I talked about a couple topics that we wanted to talk about. And earlier this week, last week, excuse me, Draymond Green talked about how organizations don't get enough of the blame, right, Mm -hmm. when a player doesn't work out. Now, we've seen this many times over the years, right? We've talked about this as well. Across sports, right? Yes. Where players, it doesn't work out for players. But a lot of times, and I think, think back about it, the blame goes on the player. Oh, he just couldn't cut it there. Oh, he just didn't make it there. Well, it's, and it's interesting, this topic, especially in the NBA, because in the NBA, one of the big things you hear now is player development, right? right. That's one of the big topics that you hear is player development. But when a player doesn't work out, how come the team's player development doesn't get criticized for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Frank Nilakina hasn't been looking like he's been working out for the New York Knicks. Is that Knicks player development? Maybe. Is it Frank Nilakina? I don't know. But what I'm saying is a lot of times you never hear, well, this team is horrible player development. Because I look at it this way. Right. If you consistently take these picks and you never turn them into something good, and obviously I think why the Knicks will get a pass is they took a, play, a p- player that people thought was raw in Chris Porzingis, even though I thought he's better than a lot of other people thought when they were drafting him. Right. And he clearly developed into a good player, right? So people have some faith in it. Uh, one of the teams that we're going to talk about here, Phoenix – I mean, outside of Devin Booker, hasn't really shown uh, to develop a lot of players. Or players have done better when they've left them, right. i.e. That's Isaiah a big, Thomas. That's a big thing as well. Right? So when the player leaves and goes back, now some of it might be scenery. I get all that. They might be comfortable in a certain city. All that stuff is true. But it's also true that the player, the team, may not have been giving them proper development. It may also be true, as what Draymond Green had to say, about Marquise Chris, who came from Phoenix, yes. who hasn't been a good organization, and is now playing with Golden State. And he had this to say about how we don't blame teams enough for lack of player development. I think he's been in some pretty tough situations. No one ever blames the situation, though it's always the kid. No one ever blames these shitty franchises. It's always going to blame the kid. It's not always the kid's fault. He's getting older now, so he's not a kid anymore. But, you know, he came into this league as a kid. But it's never the organization fault. It's always that guy. So I'm happy he's got another opportunity to show what he can really do. So if if people weren't, you know, so clear as to what he was saying, because it is kind of muffled because of, you know, the distance from the camera to Draymond Green, he was basically blaming, you know, why, why don't we blame these organizations more? for the lack of player development as you were just talking about and as I'm going to get into because this is something that I – it annoys me. He's mad, people. It annoys me to a large degree. Draymond Green also had this to say when asked about why he thinks that is the case in terms of whether or not you know we should be blaming these organizations. And this is very key. I think yes. it's key. Why don't you think organizations get more blame in, in that case? Because you're friends with them and – you know, you, you want all the access from them. So, you know, the way you guys would come out and bash players, y'all don't do that to organizations. True. Because it's all about access and protecting your future. No one really protects these younger guys' future because it's all about what can I do for myself. So, 
no one talks about the organizations. It's always just the player, 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 because they can't do shit about it. But be young and carry name, carry no weight, and then be out the league and on to the next thing. So that's what I think it is. Yeah, see, I think Draymond Green is one of the perfect people to speak on this, right? Oh, yes. Because he's somebody who was drafted in the second round and may come out and be able to say, hey, I may not have excelled as great as I did without being in the right situation that I was in Golden State. Like, coming to this place where my defensive skills were uh, enhanced and, and expected and I was able to fit into this role. Situation matters sometimes. Where you're drafted. A lot of times. Yeah, where because you're drafted it, matters could, sometimes. Hard work matters too, obviously. But here's the thing too. This isn't a basketball issue. This is a – look, if I end up in the wrong company, if you end up in the wrong company – and there's not a lot of room for growth and they don't really develop their talent or develop their workers and things like that very well, then you're going to be put in a bad situation and that's going to set you and your career back for an extended period of time. The same thing happens in sports. We just don't think of it in that way because we think that athletics aren't a reflection of society when they are, right? So then when you look at certain organizations, there's a reason why when you look at lottery teams or in the NFL, the teams that are in the top 10, there are teams that are always there for a reason. It's either A, they draft poorly, or B, they develop poorly, or C, both, usually. But we don't really acknowledge that. We just say, oh, they drafted a guy. It didn't pan out. Uh, maybe they say that they're not good at drafting, but really what the what the narrative is that the player is not you know, up to whatever standard the organization should have, right? I often lament Kemba Walker's time in Charlotte because I often say that the best teammate that he had there was Jeremy Lamb. But that says a lot about the Charlotte Hornets as an organization because when you look at their recent draft picks, uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, why couldn't they develop him? He was really good in Kentucky that year that he had there. Mm. Granted, he couldn't shoot the three ball. Still but can't for the most part. Right, but if he gotten into a better situation like a Golden State, you don't think that he would be doing you know things on a, on a much grander scale because he would be helping that team win? No. It's all about fit in a lot of ways. Cody Zeller, Noah Vonley. Frank Kaminsky, Malik Monk. Who, who Noah Vonley, to mention, actually had a very productive season with the Knicks last year. So it might say something about the Knicks develop player development in relation to the Hornets player development. Here's a good one. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who they traded to the Clippers. Yep. Okay, that worked out better for him because we saw what he did with the Clippers and he was a centerpiece in that Chris Paul trade. Because if he's not included in no, that Paul, trade, Paul George trade, Paul mean. George trade. Because if he's not included in that trade, that probably doesn't get done. And now he's going to be with Chris Paul in Oklahoma City, where if he was in Charlotte, I mean, he might be their best player right now or second best player right now. But that now. doesn't mean he would develop in a great exactly. way. Exactly. You don't like it. Now look at Phoenix. I heard this yesterday. I think this was in the in the Baxter Holmes uh, Zach Lowe podcast. Did I hear correctly that Phoenix hasn't developed an all-star since Amari Stoudemire? That is correct. That is the last time they had a first-round pick who became an all-star. That was in 2002. He was ninth overall. He was rookie of the year. And we know how good Amari was. Now, people now people will argue and push back and say, well, hey, Devin Booker's really good. He's not an all-star, and it's tough for him to make it in the loaded West. And Devin Booker— I would argue and say that some of those scoring numbers are empty, but yes. I would 100% <laughs> agree with that, and I think that's also a huge problem with, with not maybe just Devin Booker's game, but who he's had around him— in terms of support and playing, because that also matters too, right? He's gotten a lot of empty numbers. He's not that good of a defender, although I think he can be a better defender. But those are things. Phoenix, who is the shitty organization that Draymond Green was talking about, hasn't been that good. 
we, your, your point, the point is excellent. Where is the criticism on these organizations I mean, look, look, for you, poor drafting and lack of player development? If you look at Phoenix just this decade alone, right? Because last decade, they were making the playoffs. They had Amari. They had Steve Nash. They had Sean Marion. They had Boris Diaw. They had Roger Bell, Leandro Barbosa, Mike D'Antoni. Uh, but after all that ended, they weren't really developing players. They had Alex Len. They had Kendall Marshall. They had Markeith Morris, who's a you know, solid player, but you know, probably would have been better off not being in Phoenix. Isaiah Thomas, as you mentioned, ended up on that team and was better when he left. They had Josh Jackson recently. Uh, DeAndre Ayton who is good, is very talented, and people are very skeptical as to whether he's going to reach that next point because of where he is. Like, think about this. They have DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Ricky Rubio. They should be almost a playoff team. Uh, Maybe they would be in the East. They should be at a level that people are talking about in terms of optimism, but they're not going to overcome that organization, who, by the way, just fired their head coach after one season. Who I I liked and thought was a good hire for them. They fired him um, pretty much because he also – Wanted Donkic over, and even if you and, and we were talking about this last night, like yes, there are, there are Markel Fultz is probably another one would have been better off had he not gone to the Sixers because that was a tough situation for him. I think Jaleel Okafor would have benefited not being as part of the not being part of the process essentially, and then traded for a second round pick to the Nets where he didn't really play, and now somebody with that level of talent, the game has sort of passed him by. Nah, the, the, see the, the thing about Jaleel Okafor is a little tough because I do think there were concerns for him positionally in the NBA because of his size and back to the basket and lack of ability to stretch the floor and shoot. But going 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 into the pro- defender. Going into the process doesn't help his development. It though. doesn't because I think because here's the thing I'm saying about Jaleel Okafor. Talented in the post, a little bit miscast for today's NBA. Had he been in a situation maybe where he wasn't the number two overall pick. Yeah. Maybe where he was three. a guy number three overall pick, sorry. <clears throat> maybe where was a guy who was gonna come in give you some bench points. I still think there's a role for him in the NBA. You also saw how he played well in spot minutes when Julius Randle and uh, you know Anthony Davis were out in, in New Orleans. He played very well in these spot minutes. There's still a role for him. I don't want to say he can't play. Right. Maybe sometimes it's just where you're picked and the expectations also don't fit in terms of the team not being able to develop you properly. Two more things that I really want to touch on from this. There's one element of this. Let's look at the other side now. Look at Portland, right? They okay. had Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum as first-round picks, and they developed them. Mm-hmm. And these are dudes from Weber State and Lehigh as, as top 10 picks. And then what happens? They get to the playoffs, and now they're a perennial contender. Every single year, they're at least in the conversation of being one of the top teams in the West. That's the other side of this. Why is it that you know, some organizations could figure out and others can't? Well, I mean, like, I, well, Portland deserves that level of credit as well. And then... Wait, you were going to say something. I was going to say it's credit and also that I, I'm a big uh, sayer of this. People don't want to hear it because they want to try to act like these drafts are an exact science. It's a crapshoot, man. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, 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 look, I'm not saying— And Phoenix that, is one of the teams that make it a crapshoot. Yeah, I'm not saying that there aren't people who don't know what they're doing in terms of this, but nothing is really guaranteed. If everybody knew what they were doing, 14 teams wouldn't have passed on Giannis Antetokounmpo, okay? Right. If everybody knew what they were doing— and maybe had to redraft or something like this. You had the team three teams at the top. Philly might have took Porzingis. Yeah, uh, Lakers might have took Porzingis, and they di- and they did not. Look, there's a reason the Sacramento Kings haven't made the playoffs in God knows how long. Right, there are teams that do consistently bad and don't have the good front offices. And I agree, there are teams that you see consistently there. But also, some of it is a little bit of luck. Some of it is good fortune. You and I texted the other day, and we were talking about Tom Brady. 
Oh, right? I was get, that's exactly what I want to get and to. It's, and it's part of a great discussion to have, right? Tom Brady, let's be very clear. Tom Brady is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. Greatest, not best. Right. Right. Tom Just Brady. to make sure that's clear. Tom Brady was drafted the next to last pick in the final round of the NFL draft back in whatever year that was. And he, out of Michigan, nobody out of Michigan was raving about Tom Brady. Nobody was saying that they thought this guy would be a Hall of Famer. If they thought that, he would have got picked a lot higher. Let's also be clear on something. The New England Patriots didn't know this, okay? If they had known this, the year before he replaced Drew Bledsoe, you know where he was? Third on the depth chart. Third, yes. Yes, okay? Yes. So they didn't, like, let's not act like they came out and was like, yo, we really, we really believe in this dude. Tom Brady got an opportunity. Tom Brady worked hard, which you, which I always believe counts. You have to work hard. Have to, yes. And when he got the opportunity, he worked hard, he developed his talent, and he worked on being great. And he came to work every day and has been great for an lo- extended period of time. Kudos to Tom Brady. Yes. But let's not act, right, like that is all the New England Patriots made this great find, right? So sometimes it's like an organization got a little bit of luck. Now, New England Patriots, they do draft well consistently. Mm, they've, they've To some degree. Not they've as dra- well recently, they've but draft- I know. They've drafted yeah. well. They don't like to keep and pay stars. They, the one thing about them is they identify stars where it's like, oh, you're going to be too much for us to pay this position? Yeah. No, we don't want you, so we're going to ship you out. They they know how to draft and keep their keep their books right, if I should say. Yeah. They identify what they want to pay, what they don't want to pay. But it's not like, let's all say this too, it's not like the New England Patriots consistently have found these sixth, seventh round draft picks. Oh, no. Diamonds in the rough. You know why? Because, again, it's a crapshoot. You yeah. don't know. And some of it is opportunity. And Tom Brady took advantage of the opportunity, which counts. It counts, man. But let's not act like – let's not elevate all the high organizations. And also, let's also not give passes sometimes to, as Draymond Green said, these shitty organizations. Right, exactly. Like, you have to – like, and I think what Draymond Green said about the – I want to touch on that, the media stuff. Yeah. How, why it is like that? Because the, the reporter said, why is it this way? And he said, and he brought up this great point about the relationship between media and the and the team. And he's right. Media members, for the most part, want they don't want to lose that access. Mm. They don't want to lose that Me, access. Media loves to tell athletes that they're sensitive when, oh, my God. They don't want to lose are that we access. Are insecure they compared wanna, to they, them? They want to be connected with, and we are because we've had these connections. Yeah. You want to be connected with the person that's next to this person in the front office that works in marketing, that works on the strength and development team, that works on the medical – you're, you have all these connections that help so when you need to, to get lose his, access. Right, yep. they're so scared to lose access that they might not criticize the team. Now, I think there are some reporters, and I know reporters like this, who don't give a damn about that. Right. <laughs> they're going to say what they got to say. And sometimes there have been teams that haven't liked that necessarily, right? I think and I team, know exactly and the teams who you're can't talking about. <laughs> censor them on that. And I respect those reporters because you're supposed to be out here reporting the truth and telling the story. Yeah. But he's right that that dynamic continues to exist, especially for young reporters. Oh yeah! Who don't want to mess up the? They don't want to upset the apple cart there. Yeah. They don't want to say, "Oh, I'm critical of this team because in this the, way." The problem, the problem with people of my generation is they want to make as many people happy and be as likable as possible. That's why they post things on social media all the time to appear as likable and to appear as you know appeasing towards everybody else as possible. And they want to build these relationships so that they can utilize them for whatever else. When they don't want to be authentic and just tell things how they really should be. And sometimes with certain organizations, maybe we should listen to a Drake. Mon Green, who is telling us exactly what's going on. Maybe we should listen to a Jimmy Butler. I, mean, I don't like the way he necessarily handled it in terms of Minnesota. Jimmy Butler was mad at the dudes in Minnesota and the organization pretty much telling them, 
You paid Andrew Wiggins, who doesn't seem like he's worth what you paid him, right? Is that also not part of evaluation? If you overpay a dude who not isn't necessarily worth or hasn't shown the development, yo, I understand why somebody like Jimmy Butler is mad. Especially, he's like, I'm out here working hard. Especially if you're Jimmy Butler and look at where he came from, right? He was homeless as a teenager. He developed into an all-star when people didn't think he was going to last in the league as the last pick in the first round out of Marquette, played at junior college, and then he goes to Minnesota and he sees these top two overall picks, Andrew Wiggins one year, Carl Anthony Towns the next, and he's like, Psh, y'all ain't got heart? Like y'all, they don't y'all don't work as hard as I do. Yeah, like again. y'all y'all don't know what it's like to wake up at four a.m. and get this workout in. And you know what I mean? Like they don't put in the same work. Maybe, and now he's in the perfect spot. Maybe we should listen to the dudes or women, whatever sport it is, who haven't had everything handed to them, like the number one over. Yes, because look at the trend here. We're talking about Jimmy Butler, who was picked with the last pick in the first round. Draymond We're Green. We're talking about Draymond Green. They're from the same school. Right? Oh my God! Imagine them on the same team. Right. <laughs> right. From this. From right. And these guys. Didn't have everything handed to him. So they work. They understand what fit means. They understand what getting in the right systems mean. Yeah. Um, Butler, obviously, being under Thibodeau, they understand what all that means. So I think they have this really great perspective that sometimes us in the media, we don't look at understand or we ignore. Or we ignore. And we don't yes. challenge, right? And so we end up telling these ducktails that ain't true about this, right? So start telling what's real. If the teams aren't developing, there's a history like Phoenix, and they're looking like a not good organization, you want to take the Knicks? Oh, I don't think the Knicks player development has necessarily been that bad. They've made other decisions that are bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't just, cre- you can, you can't just credit it when they turn around and you see things like the Nets, and we talk about, oh, the Nets culture and player oh, development. But before that, they were god-awful. Yeah, who did, who did it? Well, that's a credit to Sean Marks, though, right? Yeah. And the end of people But, but what in. I'm saying is, like, before before that, they remember, they had the 10-win team, yeah. and in that era, you were drafting Marcus Williams and Shaw Williams shortly after that and didn't pan out. Maybe they would have panned right. out somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, when, don't, and don't get me started on the New York Jets. And that, right, Don't get me started on well, them. Well, sometimes the constant thing with these teams is ownership. Sometimes when that changes and you get good people in the front office, things can change. That is to be shown. The problem I see in Phoenix, what they're talking about, ownership hasn't changed there. They've evolved to way too many coaches, and that's, that's the issue. You have to have stability. You have to have confidence. That's what we saw with the Nets. That's why it doesn't surprise me they found Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. They had stability. They believed in their plan, and they stuck to it. Can they continue to do that? That also has to be seen. And sometimes you draft a really talented quarterback and give him David Nelson as his number two wide receiver with a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, Oh, let's talk about that because what you're talking about there, as people know this podcast, Brian has loved to – Talk about Geno Smith and the opportunities that he didn't get. But Brian makes a great point. Did Geno Smith Smith ever get the opportunities with the Jets that Mark Sanchez did? I want to use him as an example, right? Yes. Because, and this may be repetitive if you listen to this podcast, but I don't care. Because you love Geno Smith. No, it's not even that. But but in terms of what Draymond Green is talking about, this is the example I'm most familiar with. Where they drafted Geno Smith in the second round, who fell, who's going to be a first-round pick, and he fell because E.J. Manuel, or as Papi Levitar says, E.J. Manuel, was drafted in the middle of the first round to the Bills, so he ended up being the first quarterback in that draft. Geno Smith was drafted into that situation and was thrown to dudes like Clyde Gates, was thrown to dudes like, 
David Nelson, who I mentioned. His number one wide receiver was Santonio Holmes, who could never stay on the field. So then it really became Jeremy Curley, who should be a three or a four, who's not even in the league. And that's another thing. A lot of dudes that he was throwing to as a rookie weren't even in the league after two more seasons. They signed Eric Decker. And then what happened after that? Right. So they're going through all this. And I remember watching these games. There was one time I sent Robin Lumber this in 2014. They were playing against the, the Chargers. Right. Empty set shotgun formation, five wide receivers. San Diego's playing man coverage in this photo. And Geno Smith is dropping back to pass. And all five of them are covered. Decker, Gates, Nelson, all of them. No, like all five of them. Remember, Stephen Hill was a second round pick in 2012. Oh, wow. He didn't develop. I was high on him. It was terrible. But before that, they had Mark Sanchez. And this is why I always say Geno Smith is better than Mark Sanchez. That's not the point here. The point is organizational incompetence affecting a young quarterback who had all the talent. Physically, could run, had the arm. You know, maybe the IQ should have been a little bit higher. But you could have set him up to succeed. If he was in a better situation, I firmly believe he'd be a starting quarterback right now. Right? So, with Mark Sanchez, you had the league's best rushing offense. One or maybe two years. Yep. You had the league's best, best defense. And offensive line. You had three, you had three four pro bowlers on the offensive line. It was Damian Woody, it was Alan Fanica, Brandon Moore was there, Nick Mangold, and DeBrickishaw Ferguson. L- like, listen to that offensive line. I don't even remember who was John Geno Smith's offensive line. I think he had Brick at the end. He had Nick Mangold, Mangold. there. Other than that, you had like Ode Abushi. <laughs> you had Vlad Dukas. Oh. You know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, no, I, I think the point about opportunity, Geno Smith never had the opportunity and talent around him to actually see it. I think you I think But that happens with a lot of athletes yeah, is what no, I'm saying. And I think, I think Brady Quinn would have been better off not being a Cleveland Brown. But I think that I think that football is one of the best specifically in the position of quarterback. Specifically in the Specifically of quarterback, in quarterback. Because yes. A lot of times people don't talk about this, but who are you throwing to? And you brought that up. The names you mentioned that Geno Smith are throwing to, as you said, most of them dudes weren't even in the league in two years. I think maybe Jeremy Curley and Stephen Hill were the only dudes that were in the league two or three years after the season yeah. you're talking about. Bilal Powell, but he's a running back. Right. Bilal Powell was tied for second in that team in receptions with 36. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Jeremy Curley led the team receptions of 43. And, yes, people will blame the quarterback there, but I'm wa- I saw every game that year. Right. I saw every because I was still a Jet fan at that point before I gave it up. Right. And two years later, I I saw every that that team will make you give it up. (laughs) (laughs) No, the year after where they brought in Michael Vick and then people were like, oh, why don't they start Matt Sims? And I had it with Uh, Jet. I I, I, I was was around the team almost. I was so pissed off. Those are two years. (laughs) And I was not doing well in college. So that didn't help. But like I turned around, obviously. Kellen Winslow and Jeff Cumberland were their tight ends. Yeah, I remember. I was there. This is right before was, Jeff. Uh, uh, we found out Kellen Winslow was, you know, weird, to, yeah, <laughs> for there, lack of a better were, term. There were times I looked around the locker room at those times. I'm sure if we had Kimberly Martin, who was covering the team at that time up here, she'll tell you, you're like, yeah, this is a far cry from those AFC championship teams in 2009 and 2010. But then what happens, right? 2015, Mike McCagnin comes, Todd Bowles comes, they get competent all of a sudden. And then Geno Smith gets punched in the face by IK and Polly, who's not in the league anymore and was a hothead who got arrested for resisting arrest. No, who got arrested and then was resisting arrest in college, right, in Louisiana Tech. So basically what I'm saying is, like, yes, there is some blame to be had there for Geno Smith, 
but do you really have to punch somebody in the face if you're IKA and Poly? No, but the there's reason no why, excuse for that. But the reason why I bring that up is because the organization got competent, and then when Geno Smith, who was rooming with Brandon Marshall that summer, was going to have, in, you know, theoretically a breakout season, that happens. Insert Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he has a season that I maintain to this day Geno Smith would have had in that same position, if not better. Because they had Brandon Marshall, they had Eric Decker, like he finally had the weapons. And he didn't get a chance that year. And he didn't get a chance. Yeah, it's it's tough, but opportunity. Again, it comes down to opportunity. And then but, everybody loved Ryan Fitzpatrick until they didn't. Brandon Marshall, 109 well, catches that, that year. Well, that's my point too, like, right? It's easy to paint the narrative of Ryan Fitzpatrick's greatness, but nobody tells the story that you're telling of Geno Smith's lost because opportunity. It's, because you know why? Because it's a lot of of nuance in these discussions. There's a lot of nuance in these discussions and people don't want to broach those subjects. The easiest thing to say is that Geno Smith, black quarterback, by the way, Geno Smith couldn't get it done because they were eight and eight. Then they were four and 12 and he had a lot of interceptions and he never panned out and Rex Ryan, this like, it's just easy to blame the faces of something where people don't care to dig deeper. This is why a good amount of people are not going to care about the conversation we're having right now, but people don't care to sort of peel back the layers of what's really going on in some of these organizations like in Phoenix, where why couldn't they develop Drajan Bender? Why couldn't they develop Marquise Chris? Josh Jackson. Why couldn't they develop Josh Jackson? Yep, there's a, there's a list. But then it's like, no, nah, those players suck because it's the easiest thing to do, especially when the players in these sports and football and basketball are usually minorities. Why couldn't they get it done? Why don't we ever blame the organization that is run by largely white dudes? And that's because Draymond Green, what he said is true, is that a lot of people in the media want to protect their relationships because more often than we want to admit, a lot of people are just cowards. That's it. Yep. And a lot of what, people are just cowards. And what happens? They continue to tell these ducktails. 